Shalom. This is Reverend John Farron, and I wanted to welcome you again to this series on the Fall Feast of the Lord. This is lesson number nine, and it's really lesson three of the appointed time of the Feast of Sukkot. It's a season of our joy. Ziman Simchatenu. So that's why I use Hava Nagila as my opening music and my ending music, the song of joy. I've included the words of Hava Nagila in the introduction to this session on the website. So if you go to the website, www.lightofmenorah.org, and remember, menorah is spelled M-E-N-O-R-A-H, light of menorah, no spaces, like one word, lightofmenorah.org. I've included the words of Hava Nagila there, and, and, and indeed it is a song of rejoicing, a song of joy. And this is the season of our rejoicing. Now in Judaism today, all practicing religious Jews put up sukkahs. And many of them at least at least share a meal in their sukkah each day. Probably there's many of them that actually stay in it and sleep in it as, as well. Robin and I, we have our sukkah, we do a fire, we have hot tea and coffee, pumpkin pie. Last night we had a wonderful meal of hot soup and spaghetti. And we have Bible readings that we do and prayers, singing Haba Nagila. So it's a time to remember. A time to remember the wonderful, amazing events that the Hebrews dwelt in tents at Mount Sinai and God came down to dwell with them in his tent. And God also says, let me show you something else that's going to happen. So Sukkot is a time to remember that Jesus came to camp out. He came to camp out in the sukkah of his human body. We saw this in the previous lessons. So Sukkot is a time for us disciples of Rabbi Jesus to rejoice in our salvation that comes from him through the cross. But there's more. Not so much in the way that the feasts are practiced today, but the way it was done in Jesus' day. John 5.39, many of you who have listened to my podcast probably know this verse by heart right now where Jesus says, you look at the scriptures looking for eternal life, but I tell you, these are the ones that testify of me. And we want to know how does Sukkot testify of Jesus? The original intent of the Lord for what he was trying to get across was then, not now. We have to return to Jerusalem in the early first century AD and we have to ask ourselves, how did the disciples, how did the disciples do Sukkot? What was happening in the Beit HaMikdash, the holy dwelling house of the Lord that we call the temple? Now, after Jesus ascended to heaven and the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, rabbinic Judaism starts and it changed everything. So much from Jesus' day. Now some of the changes are awesome. Don't get me wrong, I have been involved in Messianic congregations before. One of them specifically really 
practiced the feast of the Lord by really duplicating a lot of the things that happened in Orthodox Judaism. And I had a great deal of respect and enjoyment in going through those celebrations, those rituals and so on, those services. They were, they were quite amazing. But in Rabbinic Judaism of today and in the way the feasts are celebrated, technically speaking, most of everything that is wiped out in Jesus' day when the temple was destroyed. So we're going to rely on proven Jewish and Christian scholars and Bible historians to help us out. Once again, many of you who listen to my podcast, I, I can't give you all of the resources and the scholarly ones that I rely on. So if you are interested, email me at lom.ministries at gmail, and I'll be glad to send you those sources so that you can continue your study. So let's return to Jerusalem. Let's enter the gates with him and his disciples. Because Sukkot was one of the three pilgrimage festivals. You have Passover, the Feast of Shavuot, we know it as Pentecost in English, and also the Feast of Sukkot, or as we know it, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tents. And all of the Jewish people, as they came up to Jerusalem, and it is going up to Jerusalem, they would sing songs. They would sing songs on these three pilgrimage festivals. So let's start there. Let's learn how Jesus is the shadow of Sukkot that Paul talks about in Colossians 2, 16 through 17. That indeed, the feasts are a shadow and the substance of the shadow is Jesus. And those feasts as we practice them, give us a, an amazing picture of our Jesus, our Lord. So shadow number one, as I mentioned, the thousands of Jewish people that came up for the Feast of Sukkot, and we can imagine the disciples walking with Jesus, and they followed him into the gates of Jerusalem, and great processions were singing the songs of ascents, now these are the Psalms. Psalm 120 to 134 is normally the song of ascents. These Psalms were put to music and they were sung by the tremendous processions as they traveled to Jerusalem, coming up to Jerusalem, especially for the three pilgrimage feasts. Now one of them was Psalm 122, and I'm going to read Psalm 122 verses 1 through 9, because I really believe that the disciples, as they were singing this, especially walking with Jesus up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Sukkot, this would have been something that would, re that would be a shadow, a shadow of Jesus over this feast. Here it is. A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates of Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord. An ordinance for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For their thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And actually it says, you guys, pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. 
May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls, shalom within your walls, and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace, shalom be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So what went through their minds as they are going up to Jerusalem, singing this, and remembering the phrase, pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. Now in the days of Jesus, there was a longing for the Messiah. There was a longing for the Savior of Israel to come and bring lasting shalom. But shalom? Is it just peace? Like peace of mind? Or wonderful weather? Or the absence of war or persecution? Is that what it means? The word shalom does not simply mean peace. When you actually study the Hebrew and you actually go and to understand the base root of where this word shalom comes from. All Hebrew words are like on trees and they have to come back to the base root word that gives us a picture, a picture of the concept of this idea of shalom. The base root for shalom is shalom. And we get the idea of soundness. We get the idea of safety. We get the idea of a picture of a completed building. Something complete. In the rabbinic commentary on Psalm 122, they say the only way that this shalom is going to come to Jerusalem, the soundness, the completeness, the, the completeness like a completed building, it's going to be when Messiah comes. So is it possible that the disciples of Yeshua were joyous and happy as they walked with Jesus? And they would say, the Messiah's here! And can you imagine? They were probably just overwhelmed, overwhelmed with gladness and probably started telling everybody as they went up in procession to the Feast of Sukkot. They knew Jesus was the one who would bring the long-awaited shalom to Jerusalem. And the Sukkot theme, it's related to the Sukkot theme. They believe Jesus is God. Recall, God came to dwell. He came to dwell in his own tent, in his own Sukkah. And Jesus is here now. And he also came to dwell with us. He came in his Sukkah. A shadow of the Messiah on the Feast of Sukkot. Another shadow is that we have to remember that the people, the Hebrews, were living in Ochalim, or tents. That's exactly what the Torah says. And God came to dwell with them. God with us, Emmanuel. This is something we talked about in a previous session on the Feast of Sukkot. Now a sukkah, especially when we understand the definition in Hebrew, actually the conceptual idea in Hebrew, a sukkah is a temporary shelter. It's a place that you live in for just a short period of time, like a booth, a shack, a tent. A sukkah for sheep would be the sheepfold, and those are caves sometimes. The shepherds would take their sheep into caves at night. They would have a wall built in front of the entrance to the cave and the shepherd would become the door for the sheep. 
the shepherd would sleep in the door. So indeed, that would be a sukkah. Now the Hebrews, for 40 years, they lived in tents and God was in the center of their camp. God was in the center of their camp in his own, in his own tent. And Jesus came to dwell with us and in us. He came, he was born in a sukkah, in a temporary dwelling place for sheep. Sheep do not want to dwell in caves. Sheep do not want to dwell in closed enclosures. And Jesus came to dwell in a sukkah. John 1, verse 14, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Greek word there is skenu, which means to camp out. <laughs> the word became flesh and he came to camp out with us. What do you camp out in? A tent. To camp out among us and we saw his glory. The glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 14, 20, we read it, and Jesus was saying that in that day you shall know that I'm in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He had the Sukkot theme. This was at Jesus' last summer when he said that in John 14, 20. Jesus is in the Father, we're in him, and he in us. The Sukkot theme, they dwelt with God in their tents. They dwelt with God. They dwelt in their tents, and God is in the midst of them, in his tent. God dwelt with them in his mishkan, in his tabernacle. And Jesus, he camps out with us. Another amazing shadow of Jesus in the Feast of Sukkot. Let's consider a third shadow. Another way that the Feast of Sukkot testifies of the Messiah. Now the feast had a special ritual each day and early in the morning for seven days and you can read this in Carta's Illustrated Encyclopedia of the Jerusalem Temple. The primary author there is uh, two uh, scholars, two Jewish scholars from the Temple Institute. One of them is Chaim Rickman. Some of you may know him. But this beautiful, beautiful illustrated encyclopedia we learn about the high priest and the procession down to the Pool of Siloam where they get living water at the Pool of Siloam. Not cistern water. And they bring it back and the shofars are blowing. There's a gigantic procession. And along with the shofars are the seven silver trumpets as the high priest entered the temple with the living water. Because again, the Feast of Sukkot is at the end of the harvest season and there's many prayers for rain the early rain to start for without that early rain the crops could suffer next year during the Passover season when that's the the grain harvest the beginning of the grain harvest the barley harvest at Passover and the wheat harvest at the Feast of Shavuot so indeed water was poured on the great altar and prayers were then offered May the Lord bring the early rains, the fall rains. And the harvest is over, the new agricultural season begins. Rain, living water is only provided by the Lord. And Jesus says this 
on the last day, the great day of the feast, which would probably be the eighth day. We read this in John 7, 37 through 39. Now in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow waters of living water. Now let me just stop there. This is the whole concept of the feast of Sukkot, living water. Only God provides living water. And everybody knows in the Feast of Sukkot, we thank God, definitely, for living water, the rain that waters our land and helps our crops grow so that there's an abundance in the harvest of food, to feeding not only us, but everyone, rich and poor alike. And now Jesus is relating it to himself, that indeed he who believes in him rivers of living water will flow from him let's continue with the verse but this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified so John is telling us that the flowing rivers of living water is the indwelling Holy Spirit that has not yet been given yet He shouted on the eighth day, and on the eighth day, you can read about this, as I mentioned in Carter's Encyclopedia of the Jewish Temple in Jerusalem, that on the eighth day there were many prayers offered for rain, for the coming of living water. This is God's provision, the source of living water, the rivers of living water. But the Jewish people also knew that in the Messianic age, when Messiah was here, that the Holy Spirit would come upon all the people. Just consider Isaiah 44, verses 3 through 4. For I pour water on the thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I pour my spirit on your seed and my blessing on your offspring. And they shall spring up among the grass like willows by streams of water. And they shall spring up among the grass like willows by streams of water. Remember that. These willow trees that are growing by streams of water. It's like us. We're indeed the flow of living water, the flow of the Spirit, and we're like willows by the streams of water. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. And after this it shall be that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men dream dreams, your young men see visions. And also on the male servants and on the female servants I shall pour out my Spirit in those days. Pouring out of the living water a picture of the pouring out of his Holy Spirit upon all of us. And we are like willow trees planted by the Jordan River, where the source of the rivers of living water are. This is incredible. The Jewish teaching says that in the Messianic age, when the Messiah is here, the Spirit of God will be poured upon his people in all flesh. Jesus, in a very Jewish way, shouts out and says, in so many words, I'm the Messiah, and the Messianic, Messianic age has come. His disciples would recall the predictions in Isaiah 44 and Joel that we just read. Now during this Feast of Sukkot, you can read it in Leviticus 23, God orders them to bring the branches of goodly trees, and that's the myrtle, 
the palm tree, and one of them is the willow, plus the fact of the fruit of fruit trees. Now the willows are trees that they knew grew next to the rivers. There were abundance of willow trees that grew up and down by the Jordan. The Jordan was the source of living water for all of Israel. And now, in Isaiah, this is why I told you to remember this. It's a picture of us. We're the ones who believe in him. And the Hebrew scriptures say we are the ones who received the pouring out of the Spirit of the Most High like living water. And after that water ritual, what had happened was the thousands of people had willow branches and they would beat them on the floor. Imagine thousands and thousands of people that are waving their, these, these branches in there and they're pounding the pavement with the willow branches. What sound would be that? Could, could it be a picture of us like the sound of a mighty rushing wind? In Hebrew, the word wind is ruach, which also means spirit. Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Wind. The willows beaten on the pavement and the palms waved by the thousands would be the sound. The sound that shows us the coming of the Spirit of God. An amazing, an amazing shadow of the Messiah. And an amazing statement by Jesus. Let's take a look at a fourth shadow. Now we talked about that every day in the morning they had the special water libation ritual where the living water would be poured upon the altar. But there's a little bit more to this. You won't believe this. Special flasks were made. One for the water that was brought up from the Pool of Siloam, from the Kidron Brook. And there was another one, identical, for wine. Now, one of the things in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, that wine could also be a picture of blood or a, a represent representation of blood. So they had these two special containers. They were made in such a way that if you open the nozzle on both of them and you had wine and water, the wine and water would flow out in such a way that if, if, if it's filled properly that both of the flasks would be emptied at the same time. Now, So what they did was they took the living water and they took the wine and they poured it in these special containers, these special flasks on the grand altar in the temple. And willow trees, branches, were set up like trees next to the altar. You can read about this in the Babylonian Talmud, in Sukkah 45a. It says it exactly. They took these branches and set them up, not to lean against the altar, but to stand up. They, were, they, they, they actually were set up next to the altar. So the shofars and trumpets would blow, and the water and the wine from these silver flasks opened. And the water and wine flowed so that the silver flask emptied at the same time. Imagine shofars and trumpets blowing, trees set up next to the altar, and water and wine flowing at the same time. This is an, an amazing, an amazing part of that 
ritual, water ritual, for seven days. Leviticus 23.40, we read, Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Now before the rabbis got a hold of this and did their midrash on the willow branch, so I'm dismissing that, I want to go back again to the original days in Jesus' day. And the rabbis did not do and say that the, the, that the uh, palm branch and the myrtle branch and all these and the etrog and so on represent certain people. That's midrash. That happens hundreds and hundreds of years after the temple's destroyed. It was not anything that was taught in Jesus' day. That's, that is absolutely clear. Because you get this from Jewish sources. Jewish sources will tell you that this is the Midrash that the rabbis came up with much later after the temple was destroyed. But all of these taken together in Jesus' day meant it was the abundance of the harvest of God's provision. And this is what they were looking for with the coming of the early rain and then the season of rain. And the willow. They knew. They, this was part of their geography. The willow was that type of tree that, that grew by streams and brooks with abundance at the Jordan River. It's a picture of life. And life comes from God's living water. And so we have these amazing pictures during this ritual, water and living water. At the altar, shofars and trumpets blowing and the willow tree set up. And the water and wine flowing on the altar. This is too awesome. I want you to imagine you're the disciples. This is after the ascension, after Pentecost, and it's the first fall after Jesus has ascended. After the 3,000 were added on the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Pentecost, it's Sukkot. They knew about the willow trees by the altar. Could it be that they saw it and it was like a picture of the cross? The cross th that he died on. And he is the one who gives us living water. And again, like I said, you could take a look at this in Sukkot 45a in the, in the Babylonian Talmud. But there's also something very interesting as well about the willow. This is from the Encyclopedia of Jewish of Ancient Jewish Symbols by Ellen Frankel. Ellen Frankel. Copyright 1995. Listen to this. It was an ancient Jewish custom to use the willow branches left over from the harvest rites of Sukkot and they'd keep the branches to start the fires of the oven for breaking for baking the living matzah bread the unleavened bread for passover and all of a sudden they had a link between the final festival of the year the final festival of the, of the agricultural year and the new festival of the beginning of the harvest of passover This, the water and wine libation on the altar it, it's almost like when Jesus died what happened when his side was pierced with a spear 
water and blood flowed from his heart. The disciples would have known this. And on Sukkot, the water libation, the shofars and the trumpets are blowing at Jesus' death. The shofars blew at the time of his death when the water and blood flowed from his heart. And the shofars blew in the temple at that time, indicating the sacrifice, the, the beginning of the sacrifice of the Passover lambs. This is, this is nuts. The Feast of Sukkot? It's a time to rejoice in God's provision of his real forgiveness. What the Torah could not do, Jesus did. This is in Acts 13, 38 through 39. Paul teaches this. What the books of Moses couldn't do, the Torah, Jesus did on the cross. Through the cross, like the willow tree, Jesus becomes a source of new life. A source of living water that will be poured upon us. What an amazing shadow. And could it be that the disciples saw it this way? We don't know. When I first read this and studied this about the willows being actually set up trees and these willow trees were the ones that grew by the sources of living water and Jesus tree is set up his cross and he is the one who will provide us living water an amazing shadow let's take a look at a fifth shadow of the Feast of Sukkot. So it's on the eighth day of Hag Sukkot, the festival of tabernacles, the festival of booths. We read the following. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. So this is the next day. This is the eighth day of the Feast of Sukkot. It's called Shemene Atzerit. Okay came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and began to teach them and this and I'm gonna stop here right now because a woman was brought to him caught in adultery now we remember the rest of the events this is in John chapter 8 verses 1 through 12 now it's interesting to me and I, I, I have no idea why this account is actually there on the eighth day of the Feast of Sukkot. The only thing I can think of, and I'm not going to go there now because we'll be here for hours. It's the eighth day and this woman is told to go and sin no more. Live a new life in your salvation. Jesus is God and he can forgive her adultery. Because he says, I do not condemn you either. Go now and sin no more start a new life on the eighth day the eighth day is significant the eighth day in the bible over and over and over again seems to picture a new beginning and so here's a woman with a new beginning on the eighth day at the feast of sukkot but then after this jesus says this i am the light of the world he who follows me will not walk in the darkness but will have the light of life now he says this on the eighth day of the Feast of Sukkot. 
You can read about all about this in John 8, verses 1 through 12. Now this is amazing. Especially for any religious Jewish person living in the first century. Not for us today. This is not even part of any celebration among Jewish people today in their synagogues and in their homes and in the places where they live on the Feast of Sukkot. This is not even part of it. Because for seven nights during the Feast of Sukkot, seven nights, not on the eighth day, but the seven nights, there would be an amazing party that probably lasted all night. It was a, it was a torch dance in the court of the women of the temple. It was as if the temple was just lit up. It said, in, in some cases, I believe in Josephus, I believe in, it's Josephus, where it says that all the courtyards and all of the places in Jerusalem were lit up by the, these lights, the, these torches that were lighting up the temple in the court of the women. It was as if the temple was the light of the world, God's house and God is light. They would set up 50-foot torches, four of them, full of olive oil, and then they would light those torches. It's a time of joy and rejoicing, and the men dance before the Lord. No women allowed. The great torches were related to the pouring out of the water, symbolizing the Spirit of God. And again, those Jewish people were waiting for the Messianic age, and they realized that the Spirit would be poured out of the Messianic age. The time of Messiah, there will be a great light that shines upon Israel and upon all his people. We read about that in Isaiah 60. It's a prediction of the Messianic age when Messiah will dwell among his people. Arise, shine, for your light has come, we read in Isaiah 60. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons will come from afar, and your daughters will be carried in, the, in, the, in their arms. Then you will see and be radiant, and your heart will thrill and rejoice. Because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you, the wealth of the nations will come to you. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light. And the days of your mourning will be over, then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. The smallest one will become a clan, and the least one a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. What is also amazing is John's Gospel. We talk about Jesus as the light shining in the darkness. It's a reminder of Genesis 1, verse 3. God created light, and there was no sun or moon. There was light in the darkness. John records this event and seems to use it where he said Jesus is the light of the world. But then Jesus inspires God to write the Revelation and to understand the book of Revelation. To understand the book of Revelation, you must know the Torah. You must know the feasts. You must know the prophets. John uses Isaiah 60 
which then comes back to the to the Feast of Sukkot, and he writes the Revelation. Messiah Yeshua is going to be the light shining in the New Jerusalem with no need of the sun or the moon. Wait a minute, we read about that in Genesis chapter 1. Light was created with no need of the sun or moon, and now we have it in Revelation 22, the beginning and the end, the, tying the, the entire Bible together. The light is from the lamp of the Lamb, Revelation 21, verses 23, the lamp. When you go to the Greek and to the Hebrew, it's the menorah. Now you understand the name of the ministry, Light of Menorah. Yeshua is the Lamb. Yeshua is the Lord. Yeshua is Adonai. Yeshua is the light that will shine in his menorah in the New Jerusalem. Yeshua is yud Hey vav Hey. So we're going to stop here. We have taken a look at five amazing shadows of the Lord and the Feast of Sukkot. And again for me, my wife and I were in our sukkah last night. We had hot soup and we had spaghetti and we had bread. And then we had a wonderful dessert. We had set up the fire, sitting around the campfire. realizing that indeed as we camped out for the evening and having our meal we took a look at all the material possessions that we had and said okay put those aside because we took a look and said we're we're camped out in Jesus and he in us the feast of Sukkot is a remembrance of us in Jesus and Jesus in us I, I don't understand really why the church is not part of this. These are God's appointed times. And Jesus is all over these feasts like a shadow. It's time for all of us to do teshuva. We call it repentance. Which means turning. It's the process of turning. That's what it means. For us, who love Jesus with all our hearts and all our souls, to turn back and say, Jesus, help us practice the eight Moedim, the eight appointed times that you assigned in your Torah, because we see you in them. The church does none of them. It's time to, for us to do all of them. And to praise Jesus in every one of them. So I will see you as we'll take a look at the last part of these shadows of Jesus over the Feast of Sukkot. So until lesson four, Shalom. <laughs>